Let's praise the King. Father God, I just want to invite you in this place tonight. As we come together on a Wednesday night, God, I invite your presence in this place. Your love, it lasts forever. Your love is new. Your mercies are new every morning, Father, and I just thank you. I thank you, Father God, that you don't remember our wrongs that we've repented of. That you don't hold them against us, but Father, you give us a fresh start every morning, Father. We can't even fathom that in our minds, because Lord, we can't forget the wrongs that people do to us, but somehow the King of the universe, our majesty, our God, our King, somehow, Lord, you forgive us and forget it all. Oh, true love will trust and I is peace, your love is hope, oh, it keeps no record of my wrongs, and it keeps no record of my wrongs, cause your love, it lasts forever, oh, on and on it goes, on and on it goes. Your love is strong, but never boast. Yet pour all sin upon the cross. Yet pour all sin upon the cross. Cause your love it lasts forever. Oh, on and on it goes. On and on it goes. Oh, on and on it goes, on and on it goes. Your love is light when all is dark. What oh, lifts the shadows from my heart? Your love is strong. But never boast, yet bore all sin upon the cross. Oh, it bore all sin upon the cross. Cause your love, it lasts forever. Oh, on and on it goes, on and on it goes. Oh, on and on it goes, on and on it goes. Your love, it lasts forever. On and on. 
on it goes On and on it goes Your love, it lasts forever And on and on it goes On and on it goes Thank you, Father, for your love that lasts forever. There's no end to it. There's no beginning. There's no end. There's no, we're not going to find the, the extent of it. We're not going to ever find, no matter what we do, the end of your love. It pursues us, Father. It's because of your love for us. God, that you sent your son, Jesus, to pay a price that we could never pay. So we thank you for that, Father. Your love, it lasts forever. On and on it goes. On and on it goes. So I throw my hands, praise you again and again. It's all that I have. Is a hallelujah, hallelujah, and I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else for King except for a heart singing hallelujah. Short. I've got nothing new How could I express All my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often do but every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah. And I know it's not much But I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing hallelujah Hallelujah I've got one response Got just one move with my arms stretched wide. I will worship you. I've got one response. I've got just one move with my arms stretched wide. 
we need this on a Wednesday night to speak to our soul and command it to praise the King. Oh, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs, get up and praise the Lord. Come on my soul, don't you kids shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, come on, my soul. Don't you kids shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. So all that I have is a hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, so many times, God, we hold back. God, you deserve it all. 
You deserve it all. You deserve it all. God, we give you everything from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, Father. Everything that is within us. We praise you. We glorify you. We lift you up. We magnify your holy name. Oh, so I throw my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I am is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah. clean heads and give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another and give us clean heads and give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob. Bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Oh, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh, God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another and give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not 
lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh God, Jacob. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, it seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob. Father, so many of us, so many people now are just so used to getting and getting and getting and getting and looking for what is what is for them but Lord there's so much more when we can just put you first when we seek your face and not your hand when we seek your your just relationship with you Father God when we seek just being with you and not always seeking what you can give us Father there's so much more there's such a greater level of being with you God when we stop being at arm's length from you, God, because we're just going after your hand. But when we get so close to you, Lord, as, as John did in the Word, as he, he's always had his, his head on, his, on, on Jesus' chest, just listening for the heartbeat of the King. Oh, when was the last time, Lord, we just got in your presence? Oh, when was the last time we just sat and listened for you? Oh, when was the last time we listened for your voice? Oh, when was the last time we put aside everything else and just worshiped you? So give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God, Jacob. Oh God, let us be. Generation that seeks, that seeks your face, for God and Jacob. And the praise is yours, the praise is yours, you're the one we bow before. Reigning over us as we lift you up, you reign forevermore. 
and the praise is yours and the praise is yours you're the one we bow before reigning over us as we lift you up you will reign forevermore so glory and praise power and strength worthy is the Lamb of God hallelujah glory and praise power and strength worthy is the Lamb of God hallelujah oh glory and praise power and strength worthy is the Lamb of God hallelujah oh hallelujah Worthy is the Lamb of God, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, worthy is the Lamb of God, hallelujah, it's glory and praise, power and strength, worthy is the Lamb of God, hallelujah, hallelujah, worthy is the Lamb of God, oh the praise is yours, all the praise is yours. You're the one we bow before And you're reigning over us As we lift you up You will reign forevermore And the praise is yours And the praise is yours you're the one we bow before You're reigning over us As we lift you up You will reign forevermore Glory and praise Power and strength Worthy is the Lamb of God, hallelujah. Glory and praise, power and strength. Worthy is the Lamb of God, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, 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 oh,
by you are holy, oh so holy you are holy Lord of all I saw the Lord seated on his throne Was clothed in glory. Oh, exalted high in the chain of his robe. Oh, it filled the temple. And the angels circled round him And they cried They cried, you are holy Oh, so Cried, you are holy, oh, so holy, you are holy, Lord of all, and woe is me. For my eyes have seen Oh, the Holy King And He cleansed my lips Right before I die In the pillars as the angels cry Oh, they cry You are holy Oh, so Oh
Father, we just praise you that you don't change. For when Isaiah saw you, he cried, holy, holy, because of who you are. When John wrote in Revelation, he said that the four living creatures surrounding the throne cried, holy, holy, holy. It means, God, who you are, you don't change. You're the same. And there's a peace that comes in knowing that. That who you say you are, you are and will ever be so. So we worship a God who from the beginning of time, before time even was, loved us has a plan for us and sent the Holy Spirit to live within your church and 
So, Father, we just worship you tonight. We just praise you. We thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of coming together and that the body of Christ would be lifted up and encouraged. The gifts of your spirit operate through and in each and every one in accordance to your perfect will tonight. Father, we pray for the the children, the, twe the tweens and the teens, Lord God, that you administer to them. And that tonight would be an impactful night for them, for the cause of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that, Father. Now open our hearts and our understanding. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear that we might hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you take a moment and turn, maybe turn and greet someone you've not had a chance to say hello to or introduce yourself to someone if you don't know them. Well, does anybody have a praise report or a testimony or, okay, didn't even get to finish. <laughs> I got to lead my 11-year-old nephew to the Lord, and it wasn't easy because he's uh, ADD and ADHD, and he's all over the place, Pastor, you and I prayed for him, and uh, I, I shared with him about salvation three different ways. And I mean, I wanted to make sure that he got it because his mother said he's not getting it. And uh, so she said, I'm bringing you to Aunt Sharon. And he said, yay. And I started laughing. I said, it's not to come watch TV. I said, it's to come receive the Lord. What? He goes, what? <laughs> but anyway, then then I went to Scott and I I went to the gas station first, left my gas, gas cap open. And there was a dude walking on the side of the road, and he starts doing this. I said, oh, okay. So I looked in my side view, and I saw my gas cap out. And I said, thank you, thank you. And then I was going around the roundabout, and the Lord said, uh, go back. I said, okay. So I went back, and I started talking to him about the Lord. And uh, I was parked in the wrong place, kind of in the traffic. But... I knew it was the Lord, and I, and I was digging in my back seat for a track that Tiger had given us a long time ago. And I was doing like this, and I said, uh, you need to go to church. You need to know Jesus. I know Jesus. I said, how do you know him? He said, well, I said, what church do you go to? He said, my favorite one is the Pentecostal church. I said, are you going? No. I said, why not? He said, I don't have a ride. So I did okay, but there's a Pentecostal church in uh, Scott. And I said, listen to me. 
I want you to know Jesus loves you. Thank you so much for telling me about my gas cap. He, had, he was a mess. And I gave him the track, and he looked at it, and he, and he kept on walking, and I went my opposite way. And then someone called today and said, Miss Sharon, she said, I saw you in a dream, and you were in my kitchen, and you told me that my house had uh, the spirit of infirmity in it. They're always sick, and I did. Oh, well, that was the Lord. I said, it does have a spirit of infirmity in it. So we prayed right there on the spot, and I, I, I'm just tickled because I've really been digging in the word and revelations and tearing it apart. And once you get really deep, deep, deep in there, you don't want to come back out. And it's hard. It's a, it's a sacrifice. But I want to tell you something. It was the following day. Someone who I love very much manifested the Antichrist spirit. I mean, hollered at me and said, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. If God existed, he, this, 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 and she was all over the place. And you know, in the Bible, well, in Revelations, where it says your earth shakes, when she said that, when she came at me in a spirit of suicide and anger and everything, it literally shook my earth, me, my temple, me, to the core. And I kept my composure and I said, I rebuked that. I said, listen to me. And I began sharing her the scriptures that would pop up in my head. I said, listen to me. I said, this is 911. You need to be rescued. And I remember when Tiger was given the evangelization courses, they gave out these little life preservers, these little, I mean, not life preservers, these little things that you throw in the water in case somebody's drowning. And I could see it. I could just see it. I said, I'm throwing her a life preserver. God, please, when I hung up the phone, I literally fell to my knees because there's so many people right now that are wanting to commit suicide. They don't want to go on. They depressed. They oppressed. And they're not turning to God. They're turning to the world system, and they're not getting their answers. So I'm praying, and I'm fasting. And I said, God, I said, I got to do a whole lot more than what I've been blessed to do, and uh, I said, turn it up, God, turn it up. So I just want y'all to know, be encouraged. Keep, keep telling people, neighbors, cousins, aunts, uncles, foreigners, whoever, about Jesus. And, and no matter what they tell you, no matter how nice, they might be nice and they might be real mean and they might be sarcastic. It doesn't matter because when you come to Christ, what happens? You die, you're dead, so they can't hurt you, right? Can't hurt you. It just falls right off of you. But then you go home in your private time and you pray and you get on your knees and you pray for those people. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves everybody. Just receive him. I don't know why I'm telling y'all that. Y'all don't know that y'all in church. I just wanted y'all to know I love him too. Amen. Anybody else?
Okay. Uh, two weeks ago, we started uh, a little series on Wednesday nights called Walking in God's Promises. Uh, Pastor Tiger uh, ministered last Wednesday, and so um, I want to pick up on that and, and just kind of give you a, an overview of that again. And uh, the goal of all of this, and I said if I had to go back and redo a synopsis of the first week, then it would be over by, you know, I mean, it'd take all night. But the goal, here's the goal, is to identify and apply the great promises of Scripture of God to our lives. And we're going to be looking at different applications, everyday issues and things like that, and, and then looking for the promises, looking for the Scriptures, and, and how they apply. Um, I don't want to talk in, um, like, you know, what if this could be whatever. I, I want to look at some basic fundamental things. So we kind of um, outlined that uh, two weeks ago. And so I just want to show practical uh, needs and practical ways of solving those problems according to the Bible, according to the Word of God. And tonight, this may not be real exciting, but it is uh, something that we have to understand. And that, that is that we're going to be talking about the problem and the resolution in regards to the matter of sin. Okay? Um, I'm not going into like a theological study or deep subject or anything like that because when you stop and think about it, every one of us in here understands sin. <laughs> We're already schooled in it. And um, because it is a basic human dilemma that affects the spiritual life of every single person. And uh, every day you and I are confronted with the fact that we have sinned or we are facing sin, temptation, all, all kinds of things. But one of the most perplexing things that I've run into with people, even church people, Christians, people who say they know the Lord, is how can I be sure that God will forgive me? Or how can I be sure that God has forgiven me? It's amazing. I could tell you stories of famous ministers, preachers, who preached and thousands of people would come to Christ under their preaching ministry and when they'd go back to their hotel room that night, they would be faced with, but am I even saved? And so um, I think to do that, we have to understand what, it is, what sin is, what it does, the process of that, and then what God's promises are regarding that. So... Like I said, it's not going to be real deep or anything, but every person has sinned, and there isn't anyone who has not, okay? And, and that applies to every person of every race, every faith, every background, doesn't matter what. Um, and one of the human attributes that we all have in common is that the Bible says what the Bible says about sin. In other words, your sin, my sin, isn't different, it's sin, okay? You know, I mean, I grew up hearing things like, well, it's just a little white lie. 
I don't see that in the Bible. That lie is a lie. I mean, you know, being untruth is being untruthful. Um, so in 1 Kings 8 and 46, uh, verse 46, uh, we're going to talk about the reality of sin to start with, the reality of it. 1 Kings 8 and 46 says, there is no man who does not sin. There's no person who does not sin. And Isaiah 53 and 6, it says, all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So I want you to notice all of us and each of us. Uh, it's very clear about that. All of us have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own different ways. And so what constitutes the idea of turning away? What does it mean to turn away from God or be turned away from God? It's not necessarily like uh, that we've created uh, or committed some heinous crime like uh, murder or, you know, or something like that. It just it means that we all have one common thing, and, and that is that we, we are all, by nature, stubborn, self-will, and disobedient towards God. That's our nature. That's the way we're born, okay? And at some point in life, each of us makes a choice to either follow our own way or follow God's way, period. That's all there is to it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, um, I, I, I remember years ago thinking the glory of God, you know, thinking that's some mystical thing. But all have sinned and fallen short of the standards that God has. Because of who God is, his glory and everything, holiness and everything, we've all fallen short of that standard, okay? And so at some point, all of us have made the choice in that. And so once again, the essence of sinning is not necessarily committing some terrible crime or anything like that. It's just falling short of who God is. You know, his, his completeness, his holiness, his perfectness, all of that. And so a simple definition would be the sin is a failure for which we are accountable. Okay? In other words, we live in a culture today that wants to blame everybody else for our problems. But sin is between us and God. And, and it's not the sin of my father, it's not the sin of my mother, it's not the sin of my spouse or my kids or my neighbor or anything else. It's my sin. And I will give an account before God for my sin. You will give an account. Every person alive that has ever lived will stand before a holy God one day and give an account for their life. And so sin is a refusal to live according to God's requirements, his standards, his law, and a failure to fulfill the purpose for which God has created us. And this is what I want you to understand. We were created to live for his glory. In Revelation 4 it says, and for your pleasure we are created. Not pleasure like to enjoy a toy or anything like that, but like the pleasure of a grandparent who's watching their grandchild and enjoy doing what they're doing in life and bringing joy to the heart uh, uh, of that grandparent, you know. Um, our ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God the Creator. So when we sin, we rob God of His glory. 
And we do that when you stop in the long term by not fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. Okay? We weren't created to sin. We were created to give glory to God. But our natural nature, because of sin in the world, is that we tend to lean that way. And so God knew that, so he sent his son, gave his son Jesus, that we could be delivered from that, okay? So sin is simply a failure to carry out the function for which you were created. And, and that failure, we, we bear the primary responsibility for that. We can't excuse ourselves by saying, uh, um, you know, I couldn't help myself. You know, how many times have we heard people say that? You know, why'd you do that? I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. You know, it, the, the idea that you would even say that is you're putting off accountability for your own actions. And so we are accountable for our sin. And so we've cre now that we've established the reality of sin, I want to look at the result of sin. And the first thing is the prognosis of sin. I, I, start, I started to use a different word there, but I, I think it, all of us have been, how many of you have been to a doctor? Anybody? Okay. We understand it from a medical term then, right? A prognosis is a medical term. For example, when one has a disease or a sickness or whatever, the doctor must first diagnose it and identify its presence in the person's body, okay? Once the disease or the sickness is identified, then the doctor is able to predict the course of the disease and to give you the likely outcome of it, right? You know, I mean, when they say you, you have this, you know, and if you don't, do this or you don't take this medication or you don't have this surgery or you don't what here's the court here's what this sickness does here's what this disease does and here's the likely outcome of it okay that's a prognosis okay so we're talking about the result of sin the prognosis of sin the bible says that the prognosis of sin is extremely clear because in romans 6 23 it says for the wages of sin is death and then if you go over to james chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 it says let no one say he is tempted i am being tempted by god so it says let no one say when he is tempted i'm being tempted by god for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one or each of us is tempted when we are carried away and enticed by our own lust. And a better word for that lust would be our own desires, okay? Um, James is very carefully slamming the door, basically, to say that we cannot put the blame for our wrongdoing on God. He's saying it's, it's, the prognosis is that there's sin and, there's, and if it's not dealt with, the likely outcome is going to be this. So when, when, when we are tempted by our own desires or whatever it is, our own corrupt desires, they entice us to sin. And I want to say something about this because uh, late this afternoon I was sitting there thinking about this. 
And I remember when I was in Bible college, I was working for a restaurant chain, and I was the, the night manager, and the, uh, the main manager came in one night. And he was always being very antagonistic towards me because I was a Bible college student and everything. And um, he was always saying things that the Bible says that the Bible doesn't say. And so we had a very lengthy discussion one night, and I won't go into the whole thing, but in his mind, he was convinced that if you have a bad thought or you have a temptation, that you've already committed the sin. And I tried to explain to him, I said, that's not true. I said, because the Bible says that when I am enticed by my desires and when I give in to them, then that becomes sin. But just because the temptation comes or the thought comes or the opportunity arises to do something wrong, that doesn't make it sin. You know, there's the old adage about, I can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but I can stop the birds from building a nest. And so the enemy will come along and whisper things in your heart and your spirit. And then, and I know Christians who live defeated because they think, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Well, the, the enemy's got you beat because you don't understand what sin really is. And that's why I think this is so important. Because we can't understand God's promises towards us if we really don't understand what the problem is. Okay? And so um, it's, the temptation is not the sin. It's when we yield to it that it brings forth sin. James says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, that is sin. So when we know what to do is right, and we don't do what is right, then it becomes sin, okay? And the thing about that is you can't judge other people by what God has convicted you of. You know, you can't. You can say, well, God showed me that was wrong. Showed you. But until God shows that person, you know, and maybe what, you're doing was wrong because of your nature or your tendencies or whatever, and you needed that out of your life. We can't, we can't, we can't just block everybody in and say, this is what it is. Yeah, there's certain things that are sin. I mean, Paul lists them in the book of Galatians, things that are sin. But I, I just wanted to put that out there because we need to understand that it doesn't become sin until we yield to it. And we'll talk about that again in a minute. And then James 1.15 explains the process of sin. In other words, the prognosis is, okay, we have sin. And sin comes about because of this. And if sin is allowed to continue, James 1 and 15 says, then when lust or these corrupted desires have, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And, and, uh, I just tell you this just as kind of a side joke thing, but I, I never forgot it afterwards. Um, when I was a baby, uh, a teenager, young t person in the Lord, and, and we, I didn't know any church that taught the Bible or anything, and my mom had met a lady who had been in, uh, was a church God lady for years and knew the Bible, but uh, that was during the, the hippie movement of the late 60s and early 70s, you know, and, and LSD was the big drug and everything else. And she said, did you know LSD's in the Bible? And I'm going, no. 
Where is it at in the Bible? And she goes, in James, right there. Lust, sin, death, L-S-D. And I went, well, yeah, I can see where that would fit, but I don't think that's really what it, but I've never forgotten that because it makes, it helps me understand, you know, so in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, I'm tripping on LSD, whoo, you know, but how many people I, I had friends who died on LSD, they would freak out and jump out three-story windows thinking they could fly, you know, I mean, they were tripping out on, on the drug, and so I said, well, yeah, it brought forth death, it brought forth a physical death, it literally did. But we see the process here, and here, and, and let me just put it up here. When we yield to our corrupt desires, it produces sin. When we continue in the practice of the sin, it ultimately leads to death. Okay? Does that make sense? So when we yield to the corrupt desires that are out there, it produces sin. What do you do? Well, we're going to see that in a minute, but if we keep on doing it and make an excuse for it and living with it and, and giving it a place in our lives, it eventually is going to lead to death. And, and the Bible speaks about that. And so, and the death is not necessarily a physical death because the death could actually speak a spiritual death. And you say, what is spiritual death? Spiritual death is the ultimate state of eternal separation from God. Okay? Now, here's the thing a lot of people don't understand. Because I've talked with a lot of people who are not church people, not Christians, whatever. And they'll say things like, well, man, I'm just going to go to hell because that's where all my buddies are going to be. How many of you heard something like that before? And I said, but you won't find them. What do you mean I won't find them? I said, because the Bible says it's a place of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But they go, well, it's all right. At least I know I'm not alone with them. I said, but you are alone. But here's the thing they don't understand is that there's going to be a final judgment. And the Bible says that all the dead outside of Christ, all the dead who have died since the beginning of time outside of Christ will be taken up into heaven. They'll be resurrected into heaven and stand before a holy God who opens up all the books and the book of life and all their actions will be recorded. Now this takes place in heaven, the same place that we're singing holy, holy, holy about, okay? Uh, and, and, and we're like, yes, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? I mean, we're singing that. They are going to experience heaven only then to hear, depart from me and be cast alive, not into hell. The Bible says the end judgment is the lake of fire where no one dies. They cannot die. And, and so they will have experienced the glory of heaven, the best of heaven, the, the smells, the sounds, the colors, the sights, everything. They'll have experienced it and then lose it for all eternity. And that memory will never go away. Never. 
And so, I, you know, when I'm talking to people and they tell me stuff, I don't, man, I'm going to hell and I'm going to hell. My friend's going to hell. I said, well, let me tell you, you're not going to stay in hell. What do you mean? And then I let them know. And they go, oh, by the way, you're going to see this. And I mean, it's, that's, just think. To experience the glory of God and all that could have been and should have been, they lost because they chose sin. Um, and there's no turning back. And there's no do-over. There's no second chance. And so it starts with one giving in to fleshly desires. We surrender to, to that, and it brings forth death. The prognosis is death, at least spiritual death, and many times physical death also. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You know, wages are something that a person earns based on their actions, right? If you work a job, you're getting paid X amount of dollar per hour. That's your wages for the actions that you do. So the wages of sin, the wages of committing sin is death, the Bible says. But the rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so what, what, what every person does is, that is sin leads to death. It's just, it's just that simple. So the next part of this process is not only the pr prognosis of sin and the wages of sin, the third thing is the burden of sin. Now, you may not think about this, but I want you to understand the whole thing here because we're getting ready to look at the promise that God has for the solution. And this aspect of sin is vividly described in the book of Psalms by David. Although the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, and the Bible says David was the apple of God's eye. I mean, David, I mean, those are pretty cool things for God to say about a person, right? And yet this same David was the one who had an adulterous affair and a, and a grievous fall and, and everything else. Fortunately or thankfully, he also knew how to repent and how to be restored through God. In Psalms 32, verse 3 through 5, look what it says. When, and this is what the psalmist is saying. He's talking about his sin. He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the conviction of God on him because of, of, of his sin. He's talking about the hand of God. But he's also saying, look what he says next. He says, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. We can understand that in South Louisiana, can't we? I mean, I'm, I don't mind the cool weather right now. You know, in a few months, I'm going to be going, Ugh, bring back those 30s and 40s and 50 days, you know. But I mean, he says, my vitality was drained away as, as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
I don't know about you, but I can thank God for that last statement. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Remember, I'm talking about the burden of sin. It's not only the conviction of it. It's the, the guilt, the knowing you've done wrong, the, the carrying that, the ill will that you have towards people who have hurt you, the feelings of you've been done wrong or the feelings that you're going to get even with someone or, you know, all of that stuff. That stuff weighs on you physically. In fact, uh, the Bible says, uh, and, and it's a proven medical fact, that it says bitter, uh, uh, bitterness brings uh, uh, um, brittleness to the bones. And, and, and having bitterness inside you changes the chemical function of your body. And, and it, it eats away at your physical body and and i've seen people like you look at them and go you haven't seen them in a while you go what's wrong are you okay oh i'm fine no you're not fine you can see something's wrong with them um david um says this about before he confessed his sin he said my body um wasted away let me go back to it he said my body wasted away through my groaning all day long my vitality was drained <laughs> uh, like like the the like fever of the sun of the summer so sin has a physical effect upon our entire being not just physically mentally emotionally all of that you carry all of that that is the burden of sin so following after our own evil desires or lustful desires or whatever we want saying no to god we've committed sin if we continue on that thing now that the prognosis is that there's death, even if it's just spiritual death, but it has a physical effect upon us. It changes our mood. It changes our attitude. It changes all those things when we give in to that. Um, speaking directly to the Lord, David made this statement in Psalms 38. He says, because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. Um, there is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. Notice he didn't say, he's not putting all the blame on God. And it went because he's saying, because of your wrath. In other words, because of the weightiness of conviction of, your spirit, of you on my life, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt Guilt of what? My guilt of my sin has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. So ask yourself, do you feel that way tonight? Do you, do, is, is, is your sin a, a, a level of guilt that you're carrying that's too heavy to bear? Um, well, I have good news for you. Because I wouldn't want to just tell you this and just say go home. <laughs> there is a way that you can be delivered from this, that you can be set free. So we've looked at the fact of sin. We've looked at the prognosis of sin. We've looked at the burden of sin. So I want to look at God's promises of forgiveness, finding mercy. You know what mercy is? It's something none of us deserve. I'm talking about mercy of God. 
None of us deserve what God is offering. And that's what the promises of God are for us. It's, it's God's promise of forgiveness. I'm just going to look at two scriptures, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, okay? For lack of, I mean, we could look at a lot of them, but let's just look at two. In Proverbs 28 and 13, it says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Okay? Now, what's interesting is that first phrase, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. I underlined that. It's the exact opposite of the verse we looked at that God gave Joshua that we looked at two weeks ago. And in Joshua 1 and 8, he says this, if you will do what I tell you, you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. So he says, if you do as you're supposed to do, and you follow the ways that I lead you in and do all of those things, you will be prosperous. And we looked up the word prosperous, and if you remember, it wasn't about wealth necessarily. In fact, it was about peace and, and confidence and assurance and, and, and restfulness and all of those things. He said, you will have this, you will prosper. But he's saying here, he said, whoever conceals their sin will not prosper does not prosper, okay? So it's just the opposite. So this proverb shows that you, there can be one insurmountable barrier to true prosperity in God, and that's sin. The Bible says our sin has separated us between us and God. Our sin stands as a barrier, a, a dividing thing between us. And so sin can especially block the way to success if we hold on to it and refuse to confess it and refuse to renounce it. It says, he who conceals, let me go back to it, who conceals their sin does not prosper. So bear that in mind because that's an important warning. It's not, it's not just a like, slide of the... Oh, oh, by the way, you know, that kind of, he's saying he who conceals it, their sin does not prosper. And whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So there's two steps here, two simple steps, and, 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 but they're vital. So the solution to being delivered from sin, the, the solution from uh, getting the weight of sin off of you, the solution from re, the burden of, of guilt and everything being gone, there's two things. And the first one is confess our sins. Because he says if you conceal it, there's no hope for you. But if you confess it, then there is hope. And the first step is confessing um, our sins. And if you remember, uh, I, I mentioned uh, a week or two ago um, that the word confess, we always think of confess like telling somebody something, you know, confessing. I need to confess. I, I did something wrong, you know. I was brought up where every Saturday I had to go to confession, you know, go in a box and tell somebody. And I did so much bad stuff, I just made up stuff, you know, because I had no idea what I had done that week, you know. And so I just made up stuff, you know. And they'd tell me, go pray these prayers, and I'd be forgiven. And it was the very first thing that God used to change me to, uh, in my search for him. Because I realized 
if, if what I was being taught was that that man in the booth represented Jesus Christ, then what I really just needed to do was go straight to Jesus Christ. That was what God used on this teenage boy to change my life. But we have to confess our sins. But if you remember the word confess means to agree with God. It means to agree with what God says about everything. And in other words, you're, you're confessing. It says the word of faith is nigh even unto your mouth. Confess that. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your, confess that. And in other words, let your words come into alignment with God's word. That's what it means. So when we confess our sins, we're, what we're saying is, I have sinned because God says I've sinned. And therefore, I'm confessing my sin before God. I am bringing myself in agreement. God, I have sinned against you, okay? And, and so the first step is to honestly acknowledge to him the sins we have committed. And here's the thing. I had a guy one time tell me, he says, well, there's no need for me to, to confess those sins because God already knows. I said, what does the Bible say? Confess your sins. Why should I have to tell God if he already knows? Well, I want to help you out with something like this. God doesn't ask us to confess our sins for his sake. He tells us to confess our sins for our sake. We're the ones that need to acknowledge that we've sinned. God already knows. <laughs> and he's just saying, bring yourself into agreement with my word and confess your sin. And, and that is so important. When we confess it and we bring it out in the open to God and we're honest and we're humble about it, not like, well, God, I probably did something wrong. You know, so if I did, you know, forgive me. No, that's not honest. That's not being genuine at all. When we, when we are honest and genuine, we open ourselves up to allow God to deal with that sin and deliver us from it. But if we hold on to it and we try and keep it hidden and, and you know, hide it in the closet somewhere in our life, you know, we tell God, I'm an open book, but don't go here. <laughs> um, you are resisting God's redemptive process his restorative process in your life. And you're essentially cutting yourself off from God's mercy. So we have to confess our sins first. And then the second thing is renounce our sins. Now, I don't know what you think the word renounce means, but I'm going to put it up here. There's several words that it means, but probably much different than what most people think. It means to reject it means to relinquish. It means to abandon. It means to forsake. It means to leave. It means to disown. It means to disavow. It means to quit. All of those things come from this, this word here, okay? And this is the decision of our will. You can't pray it off you, per se. I'm gonna, let me rephrase that. You can't just go and say, 
uh, I'm going to confess that I'm leaving this alone, or I'm going to call my friend and they're going to pray over me, or I'm going to have the pastor pray and anoint me with oil, or I'm going to have them... No, this, this comes down to your will. Why? Because lust, when it brings, is conceived, it brings forth sin. In other words, your desires. I can't stop that. I can't pray that off you. I mean, I can agree with you in prayer. That you, but you have to be, I have to be the one to say no. That's just the way it is. And... Um, so look what it says. It says to reject it. I know, I know Christians who don't reject their sin. They play with it. They want to see how close they can get to it without, without getting burned. Well, you play with fire, you're going to get burned, you know, at some point. Um, to relinquish it. What is relinquish? What's the picture that comes to mind? Come on. I'm almost done here. Let it go, right? Just get it out. Just relinquish it. You're like, I've had it in my pocket. All right, relinquish it. It's gone, all right? Um, abandon. I love that word. It's abandoned. Like, it's over there, never going there again. You know, that kind of thing. F to forsake or to leave. Disown. I, I have nothing to do with it anymore. In fact, I've, 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 I've ministered deliverance with people before because I said you've never renounced certain things from your past. You may have given your life to Christ, but you have ties. If you've been involved in witchcraft, you've been involved in voodoo, you, you just, there's a number of things that you could be tied to in the spirit realm and you've never renounced it. And, and I said, you have to disavow it. In other words, you need to, you need to declare, Father, I have, I have quit this. I have asked for your forgiveness, and I receive it. Now, Satan, I tell you and all your cohorts of darkness, I have nothing to do with my past. I break everything that from my past. I break my contact, I, my relationships, just all kinds of things like that. It's done. I disavow it because the enemy thinks you haven't disavowed it. You've, you've given it a place. And so you have to quit. You have to disavow it. That's, so we have to confess it. Then we have to renounce it. And, and, and our will is involved in that. Yes, we can pray, God, give me strength. Give me, you know, Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, if there's any way this cup could pass, let it do it. But if not, let your will be done. You know, we can pray, but you still have to make the choice. How many of you know Jesus made the choice to go to the cross? Because he even told, what did he tell me? He said, he said, I could say right now in my word, and 12 legions of angels would come and rescue me. So it was his, it was not nails that took him, that held him to the cross. It was his choice that held him to that cross. And so the key is that if we do not make a deliberate choice to follow God's prescribed pathway, then you cannot, we cannot experience God's mercy. There's no way around it. God's, it's like the doctor who gives, who says, okay, you know, um, 
several weeks ago, I had an ear infection. I didn't know it, but I knew my ear was bothering me. Went to the ENT. He says, okay, you got two ear infections. You got a middle ear, you got an outer ear. And I said, how many ears I got? You know, he said, you got an inner, a middle, and an outer. I said, well, which one's hurting? He said, the middle one's got everything muffled. The outer one is the one that's throbbing. I said, let's, let's, let's deal with the throbbing one first. He said, no, we're going to deal with both of them. And he says, here's the medicine. He said, here's some antibiotics for the other, first one. The other one, here's some drops you got to take, some strong drops. And he said, but that will take care of the middle ear. And they always put on the prescription, and they always tell you what? The, finish all the medication. Don't stop halfway through because you feel better, whatever. Well, I'll be, I'm going to confess. I got about two-thirds of the way through, and the outer ear stopped hurting. And I said, you know what? I don't need that anymore. I got them drops. I just kept putting the drops in. And, man, about a week later, I woke up in the middle of the night, and that ear was boom, boom, boom. And I, couldn't, I still couldn't hear anything. You know, everything was muffled out of that ear. So I called the doctor up, and, and uh, he said, uh, um, so I immediately went back to taking the medicine, but I only had like three pills left. So it really, you know, so I called the doctor up, and he said, well, you want an appointment? I said, no, just give me some more of those pills. Cause I said, um, um, I think this time will work, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to take them all this time, right? I mean, you know, and, and so he called one in, and I, sure enough, I took, well, I took every one. I said, even though it quit hurting after a few days, I said, no, 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 because in my, in my mind was think, keep a few in case you get another ear infection. No, no, no. I said, I'm like, I'm taking all of these because I learned my lesson, okay? And what I'm trying to just say here is that, that if, if God's prescribed pathway for, for deliverance and mercy has to be followed. There's no shortcuts. There's no end arounds. There's no other way, okay? So the solution is standing by God's promises. And, and I'm just going to read this to you and give you two things and we'll quit and pray. In 1 John 1 and 9, it says, if we confess our sins, say our. It doesn't say your neighbors. <laughs> you know, if they just get their life together. <laughs> if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and do what? Not just, not just forgive us our sins. And this is where many Christians live. Well, if I do sin, I just, I, I just ask God to forgive me. Uh, I, I had been on staff for about three days in Thibodeau back in 1983 as an associate pastor. And I was doing a small group. And a guy in my group told me, he says, well, I, I just... I just sin every day. I just go ahead and sin every day. He said, then at night I ask God to forgive me because I know I'm going to sin, so I just go ahead and sin and then just ask God to forgive me. I said, you're going to bust hell wide open. I'm the new guy, right? I, I started, came, came in on a Saturday, started on Sunday, had a small group on Monday. So I've been there two days officially, and I tell a guy in the group who's a guy, member of the church, you're going to bust hell wide open. Man, he bowed up on me. You know, he was like, where, where? And, and I said, I said, because you're not forgiven. I am forgiven. I asked God to forgive me. I said, but he didn't. He said, where do you get off with that? I said, the word. He said, what do you mean the word? 
I said, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purge us or purify us from all unrighteousness. I said, you've not repented. Well, yeah, I did. I said, God, forgive me. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of thinking, bringing your thinking in alignment with what God's word says, and then your life begins to line up that way. You just say, I'm going to sin every day, so I'm just going to go ahead and do all the sin I want, and then at the end of the day, I'm just going to ask God to forgive me. I said, well, he doesn't. And, and he said, you got to show me more. Ver and I sat down with him in that whole group, and they were all sitting there going, I've never heard anything. I said, well, you're not reading your Bibles. I said, John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit worthy, showing that you've repented. You're not showing me that you've repented because you're telling me, I know I'm going to sin, so I'm just going to go ahead. And then at the end of the day, I'm just going to ask for God to forgive me. I said, son, I'd be scared to ride in a car with you. That's what I told him. He looked at me, and, and, and then I found out later he was having an affair with a lady in the group. And, and uh, I said, man, I said, I said, this is, you messed up. You know, I mean, this is messed up. But here's the thing. A lot of people think that all they need is to confess, and then God just forgives. But the last half of that says, and when we do it with sincerity, God will purify us from all unrighteousness. So you can't be purified from all unrighteousness if, you're, if your attitude is, I know I'm going to sin, so I'm just going to go ahead and do whatever I want. There's no way. There's no purifying going on in that. And so God's requirement is that we confess our sins and that we allow and we renounce our sins. We abandon them. We, we walk away from them. We, we, we just quit. Okay? That's the prescription. And here's what we learn. That God is faithful and God is just. And you can't learn that any other way. I mean... It's vital for us to understand both those truths, that God is faithful to forgive us because he's promised to do so. So when the enemy comes along and says, God hasn't forgiven you, God hasn't forgiven you, you've been too bad, you've, done you've messed up too many times, you've that's the old way that the, the old slew food works. You could say, I know that he's forgiven me. Why? Because his promise says so. If I confess my sins with a genuine, sincere heart, then my God is faithful to forgive me of my sins. We got, we, and how can, you, how can you stand on that promise if your attitude is, I'm playing with sin? Nobody's perfect. Okay, no one in here is perfect. You don't get to be perfect till you meet Jesus. And until then, we're all going to struggle, all have temptations, all have times that we fall and we sin. And, um, but God has promised to forgive us of our sins. And, and not just forgive us, he, 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 he's promised to 
purifies. How can we know that he'll forgive us? Because Jesus hung on the cross and he died there. He paid the final and full price, the penalty for the sins of the whole human race, past, present, and future. And so if I meet God's conditions, then I, if I confess and I repent and I turn to God and I abandon those old ways, then I open the door for God to forgive me totally and finally without compromising and receive his mercy. Mercy, what we don't deserve, he freely gives when we follow the prescription. So in response to all we discovered about the attributes of sin and the promise of forgiveness, what do we have to do? We have to confess our sins. We have to renounce our sins. And then we have to believe and receive God's forgiveness. Believing God will do what he's promised. And I'm going to say one other thing about that. The reason so many people struggle receiving God's forgiveness is because they can't forgive themselves. And I want to ask, if the almighty God, who has the right to judge anyone, forgives you, then who are you not to forgive? You put yourself greater than God by doing so. You have to learn to believe that he forgives. And if the enemy can keep you believing a lie, that God's not forgiving, God's not letting go, God's not, he's defeated you. Confess, renounce, receive. That's all there is to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in this place tonight because of your mercy, your grace granted to us Lord, who are not worthy, but thankful that you still loved us enough that you gave your only son who paid the price that we might live without sin, live guilt-free, experience unlimited mercy and grace. And that mercy and grace is not a license to continue to live sinfully because then the weight of those sins bear down on us. How wonderful it is to close our eyes at night and know that we stand right before a holy God. We are in right relationship with a holy God. And Father, I just pray tonight, if there's anyone in here tonight and they're not 
they've, they've not asked for forgiveness for the sins in their life, they would do so right now. And they would say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I've been in control, but tonight I yield control of my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Purge them from me. Purify them out of my life. I surrender to you today. I want a clear conscience. I want to know that if I stand before you, O holy God, that I will not be condemned by my sins, that the blood of Christ shed on the cross has washed them all away. And Father, I pray for any Christians who are battling with the enemy, who has come and lied to them and said that there's no way God can, for, can forgive them. They're, they've fallen too many times. They, they've, they've tripped up so many times that, they, that, that there's no more mercy. There's no more grace. Father, that is a lie. If we come and confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins because your promises say so. And you are not a God who lies. You are not a God who deceives, but you are exactly what your word says. The word is the revelation of who you are. And Jesus, the word became flesh and lived among us. And his words, his life, his examples show us exactly the way you are, Father. So I pray that, Father, not only would Christians gain victory over sin in their personal lives, that they realize that they can abandon it, they can relinquish it, they can renounce it, they can walk away. It has no authority over them, no power over them anymore. And they can begin to walk with a mindset that's not filled with guilt. Because God, it's hard to praise and hard to worship when you're feeling convicted or condemned. And that's what the enemy wants to do, condemn us for sins that you've already forgiven us for. So we thank you for your promises. And we thank you for the truth because it's the truth that sets us free. Knowing the truth sets us free. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. I just wonder how many of you tonight know somebody and, um, that is battling with the inability to forgive themselves. How many of you? Anybody? There's several of you. And maybe you, and maybe you I don't know or you know someone. I just feel like we need to pray for them right now. Would that be all right? Um, I want to see God's people free. I want to see people free. I want to see the people that, that don't know the Lord be set free.
from the condemnation of sin and guilt. You know, sometimes we forget how powerful that is. In fact, the Bible says that sin is a slave master. Father, we just pray right now. There was half a dozen or more hands that were lifted up of people who are battling with the inability to accept forgiveness for themselves and from God. And Father, I just pray tonight that there would be divine interventions in their life, that you would break those chains of unforgiveness off of them right now in the name of Jesus. That they would be open to hearing the truth that God, that those whom you have set free are free indeed. You've called us to live in a higher plane, a higher level, not just a place where we can get our sins forgiven, but that we can be purified of them. They can be, they can be purged out of our life. And so we just pray that for them right now in the name of Jesus. And I feel, I just feel impressed. I've been feeling this all night long. There's someone who's, who's been battling this guilt and unforgiveness for so long that they're in danger. They've even talked of taking their life because they can't live that way anymore. And I want us to agree right now to come against that, that spirit of death, the spirit of suicide. That is not of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come against that lying devil who's trying to convince them that the only way to get free of the guilt that they're carrying and the burden of it, Lord, is for them to end their life. And that is a lie because, God, the only way to be free is through the power of the name of Jesus Christ and through his word. And so we pray for them. God, I pray that you would put warring angels round about them, intervening angels, Lord God, that would keep that spirit of death away. And that, Father, that their darkness in their mind would be enlightened and they would suddenly realize that they've been lied to and that they would seek someone out who would speak the truth to them and lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ. For the glory of your name and your kingdom purpose, we pray. Amen. And now, is there anyone here tonight, you need prayer for anything? Not necessarily along these lines, just you need prayer. You need some people to pray with you or anything like that. We want to pray for you. Lisa? I'm starting radiation next week. Okay. <laughs> All the asteroids up there get blasted. <laughs> Never heard it put that way. Okay, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I understand. That's all right. Anybody else? You need someone to pray with you because that's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to pray for one another. Anybody? Okay. Well, why don't you, some of you ladies come and lay hands on Lisa.